Hi folks, welcome back to On Call with Insignia, where we go on call with leaders innovating the future of Southeast Asia's internet and digital economy, or as we like to call it, ASEAN Innovation. I'm your host, Paolo Aquino. And as you can see in my background, for those tuning in to the video version of this podcast on YouTube or Spotify, then you'll know that we are in for another Academy Afterthoughts episode, where we bring in alumni, mentors, and people who are part of this ecosystem that we've created out of this first-of-its-kind 12-week experiential program for venture capital education. And with me is a graduate from cohort four of this program, so currently running our fifth cohort as of this recording, and she came from the preceding cohort. So very happy to have somebody from that cohort on, none other than Geraldine Pinea. And she is very much built a career around SaaS and sales, and really excited to dive into not just her Ivy experience, but also her thought leadership and her experiences around this industry and around this practice. So welcome to the show, Geraldine, and thanks for coming on. Hi, Paolo. Thanks for having me. So I think we just dive right in into, since this is an Academy Afterthoughts, and would love for our listeners to know where you came from coming into the IVA program. Maybe you can share a little bit about that time in your career, in your life, and why you decided to join IBA? Sure. Let me start off by giving a quick introduction about myself for those who are seeing me or hearing me for the first time. My name is Geraldine Piat. So I'm, a, I'm working in the software as a service industry for the past nine years or so, primarily focusing on sales, helping growth stage companies scale within Southeast Asia. And on top of that, I'm also a content creator. So I create content around growth, achieving balance, and also giving back to the community. So that's a really quick introduction of myself. So where I'm in at my career when I first joined Insignia Ventures Academy was I was about maybe nine years or eight years into the software and the service space. And I really got quite a good sense of what it's like to be an operator, right? Having done so much GTM strategy work, execution for many of the SaaS companies. What I wanted to achieve was really to get a more a broader perspective from that of an investor, not just into the software as a service space, but also into various startups in general. And my goal was really to think about first, how do I better serve my digital native and startup customers? I wanted to understand them beyond just like a functional or technology level into a more in-depth business level as well. Yeah, so I find that quite interesting because obviously when people hear about Insignia Ventures Academy, the first thought is, oh, you're joining because you want to start a career in investing, become a, yeah, maybe even not a VC, but say like an angel investor. And we had a couple of, those folks come on our show and talk about that, how they started angel investing. But for yourself, you really, at least from what you've just shared, you really wanted to tie it into what you're doing, your career and your, your path in terms of software as a service sales. So how did that background influence, would you say, your experience? Were there things that you had preconceptions or notions that you had to let go of or anything that confirmed what you had learned prior to joining the academy? So just to share with you, back then when I was still working as an operator, it's very easy to get signed out into the world of execution and just maybe uh, go to market strategy. But a startup is so much more than go to market, right? And so much more than revenue. There's so many other aspects to it and a business aspect. And I really wanted to get that whole high level overview of a, a, a business, not just a SaaS business, but also a startup business in general, so that I could really understand like how my customers and also my own company was going and whether they were heading or heading in the right direction. And what would you say is the highlight of your IVA experience? It's a 12-week affair and for many folks, really intensive. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. Sessions, 
IC meetings. There's also activities that you have to do outside of the sessions themselves. Like, what was the highlight for you? Yeah. So overall, I found this experience to be really wonderful. I, I like that it was so well structured. Like in a different call, we would have a different team. So really got a good sense of what is it like to source, to research, to do due diligence, and also to pitch to the investment committee as well. And I really enjoyed most of these aspects. But if you ask me like what was the highlight and the one thing that I enjoyed the most, I guess it was really the guest speaker. Because what mm. I felt great about this program is that your team actually brought in really good guest speakers from either previous sessions or industry contacts that you knew to, to speak to us about really real-world relevant type of issues. And I'll just talk about maybe one of the examples which I experienced mm -hmm. that I thought was right. really good. I was going to ask. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's this particular session that uh, we were talking about hiring and culture. And it just struck me that, okay, you know what? In a large established corporation, the quality of talent doesn't really move the needle when it comes to revenue, performance, and the competitiveness of a company. But in a startup, good talent can actually be a moat, right? And it's actually really important, especially so in the growth stages and all that. And one poor hire, especially in a leadership role, can really set a startup back significantly. So you've, you joined the SaaS team, uh, if I remember correctly, because for our listeners out there, the academy is structured in such a way that you join a team specific to a vertical of your choosing or it's assigned depending on how things go. And we've had people on the show share about how they decided to choose an industry very different from where they came from. Our most recent conversation with Joey from Court One, she chose EdTech or HealthTech, if I'm not mistaken, having a background in FinTech. But for you, you chose something that was very much in your lane. So I was, I'm curious to know like what, is something new about the industry, the SaaS industry that you learned going through the program, working together with that team, look different SaaS companies in the region? So when I first, the reason why I chose the SaaS sector was because I'm really very clear that this is a sector that I want to be in. And hence, I have no hesitations about doubling down and improving my knowledge on it. And although right. I've spent a lot of time in the SaaS sector, what I learned through the academy is still very relevant and interesting. Because all my past few years, I've been investing in publicly listed SaaS companies. So all these have like financial data that is available that we can pull out and all the metrics and everything. It's very quantitative and I have all the data that is available. But when it comes to evaluating a SaaS startup, the approach would be different. Of course, there are still some things that we look at like traction, you know, NRR, growth and everything. But there are a few other quantitative factors that we have to look into as well. And that's when I found the academy very useful because there was really good standardized framework around how do we approach uh, evaluating maybe like a pre-series A seed stage kind of company. So things that like looking at the founder market fit and also things like doing the due diligence, right, with the customers and all that would be very important. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting that you've or you mentioned you were looking at public companies and then of course early stage private companies is a very different affair and sometimes you're not always privy to a lot of the information, especially for a very like intensive short course. So it's really interesting that you were able to really navigate that over the course of the 12 weeks. And I wanted to also ask more than the beyond the SaaS, the whole SaaS exercise and diving into that industry, like for your overall IBA experience, what has been your biggest takeaway? I guess for me, one of the direct benefits that this program had to me was actually helping me to do better in my job. Because in part, as part of my role, I have to engage a couple of VCs and do partnerships with them. And the whole program really equipped me with the ability to view the world from their lens, to understand what their job and their priorities are like, and then to be able to engage them and speak in their language. So that was a very big key takeaway for me. 
And on top of that, something else that is also very important for me was being able to understand how to evaluate early stage SaaS company because this gives me the ability to understand also, hey, what kind of companies should I join as an employee myself, right? How do I assess the odds for success if I want to join a startup? Yeah, so I wanted to dive into those two takeaways that you mentioned. First is the language that you were able to acquire. Maybe you could give like a, some specific scenarios maybe of like how your language or how the way you communicated has changed. I really wanted to understand as a operator, how do, you know, VCs engage founders and what is like the relationship like? So the whole idea of the program was that it was actually able to give me the foundation to understand that, hey, it's not just like an investing, like I'm putting money into this company, but there's also this process of value creation. How do I add value to this company through introductions, through solutions and all that? And that was really insightful to me because it helped me to view things from that investing is not just, okay, I put my money into this company, like how I'm investing yes. in the public markets, but really being a partner and helping the organization grow. So, so it, it's really like finding, so realizing their incentives, like what motivates those kinds of relationships that I had with founders, yeah. being yeah. able to align with that. And to the second takeaway that you mentioned, which is really how to evaluate early stage SaaS companies, I wanted to ask like how, what, what's your heuristic or your approach to evaluating these companies, especially early stage? And how has that evolved over, over the past few months, especially in this industry? So the second point I actually mentioned, just a quick recap, was really more about as an employee myself, how do I evaluate early or Stevie's B kind of company and whether or not I should mm. join it. I grew to learn that there's a couple of factors to look at because as I mentioned earlier, in this kind of organizations, typically the metrics are not very visible. So you have to look at right. other things as well. Some of the things I started to look at would be the founders, the background, founder market fit, whether or not they have experience of success, what is the leadership team like? These are some of the factors that I've started to look into as well. And also have done more due diligence about the companies and structures that they have with customers. Yeah, I really like how you mentioned about looking at the founders and the founder market fit. Like any specific, especially looking at it from an employee lens, maybe and some, maybe some of our listeners out there are themselves in the market looking at different offers from companies that are looking to bring them on. What are, what do you yourself like optimize for when it comes to founders and founder market fit? One of the very key factors that I start to look at would be maybe their background because it's very important to know what is their why and how the founding team is best to solve this problem because since it's such a competitive space, for every solution mm-hmm. that you have, there's four or five other players globally competing for the same market share. So what makes this founding team so special? That's one. What makes them differentiate themselves also? Another factor that I also look at is, of course, I start to analyze a bit more about the total addressable market. Are they really solving like a major problem for society or is it really nice to have? I wanted to like zoom in a little bit to your your background in SaaS and particularly your experience at Salesforce, which I think was pretty interesting. And if you can share any like particular learnings from that time or what, or maybe even a challenge that you overcame during that time on your path to, to really get into this SaaS career. So I'm happy to share a little bit more about my experience at Salesforce. So I joined Salesforce because Salesforce is technically the founder of the father of SaaS, right? And <laughs> that's where we can learn all the best practices of go-to-market. I thought it was a really wonderful company and I still have a lot of love for the organization as well as my friends who are all there and who came from there. When it comes to selling software at Salesforce, many people will be thinking it's easy, right? Because, hey, many of the people already know who Salesforce is. Right. But, the brand um, precedes it. 
what we do is we actually sell to, my team specifically sell to SMEs. So companies that are maybe about less 100 or 200 people within the Singapore market. And that was actually very challenging because Salesforce itself is about three times more expensive than all mm-hmm. the other newer CRM competitors. So selling Salesforce to a company of that size would typically be as difficult as I think maybe selling like a Ferrari to a normal person. <laughs> But I think how we overcame it was really being able to identify who is truly our ICP, our ideal customer profile, and then double down. Mm-hmm. For example, when it comes to Salesforce, the ideal customer profile for a smaller company would be first high growth one that is venture back, they have huge growth targets, and that's when growth customer experience is really top of mind. And secondly, a second generation established SME where the younger generation of business owners have taken over their parents and want to digitize what was what used to be a traditional business. So that's the two ICPs that we doubled down on. Another very important thing we did was actually to size Salesforce up as part of the PSG program in Singapore. And that gave mm-hmm. us the to reach out to a broader range of SMEs who were now able to purchase Salesforce with government grants. Yeah, no, I really like how you structured your that, that answer and looking at the ICP. And I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about, you mentioned earlier in your introduction that you also create a lot of content, I think especially on LinkedIn, and you're also a LinkedIn top voices, if I'm not mistaken. And so I wanted to for you to be able to share with us like how these activities as a content creator has impacted your career and vice versa. Like what are the synergies that you've been able to derive from doing this? Definitely, there's both benefits as well as cons of being both a content creator mm. and working full-time. Let me talk about the benefits first. So there are cons of benefits. Let me highlight a few. The first is being able to attract like-minded people. People who are also interested in the things that I write about, like growth, SaaS, Southeast Asia, things like productivity. Being able to attract these like-minded people who have similar values, that's been one of the major plus of being a content creator. Another important thing was also being able to attract employers who prefer those who are more, perhaps more outspoken, who have a growth mindset, who are more mm. passionate and take time outside of work to actually learn about their field. So that's a second plus. The third is that because of I've established a subject matter expertise in the field of SES, startups, Southeast Asia, that's how I got to be able to connect with a lot of founders and investors who are also in the same field as well. So these are the benefits that I've had of being both a content creator and an assess operator at the same time. But of course, it's not all perfect. Then of course, going to be some of the cons. Um, number one, yeah. I think that in Asia, sometimes there are more traditional, then there are more, some employers with a more traditional mindset who might view content creation as a distraction. So oh, because you are spending time on content creation, then you have no time to focus on your work which is not a very perhaps accurate or logical conclusion. And furthermore, when you put yourself out there and you appear authentically as who you are, you definitely don't get everyone who likes you. There will be a group of people who disagree with you or who might even be jealous because they might not be doing as well. So this is one of the cons of being able to be a content creator and also account executive at the same time. But overall, I see it as a huge plus because if an employer sees content creation as a bane, something that they don't quite agree with and don't want their employees to focus on, then perhaps maybe they might not be the right fit for me. I have the two, two follow-up questions to that. One is, what advice then do you have for employees who are looking to get into like, content creation apart from their full-time job? 
I guess it all begins with, first of all, identifying what topics you like to talk about. And then secondly, starting, just starting, because you need to have, content creation is all about discipline as well. You need to have the discipline to have a consistent posting schedule so that people know what to expect from you and you'll be able to build traction from there. Yeah, again, I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> and the second question I wanted to ask related to content creation was, I think a lot of B2B, even more specifically SaaS companies, are really looking at thought leadership as, as an avenue to really build mindshare and kick off relationships that they believe are important in, in building that customer base. What advice do you have for SaaS founders who are dipping their feet into content creation themselves as a way for go-to-market or building those kinds of relationships? I think the whole idea is really to put your audience and your customer at the center of the content that you create. First of all, identifying, okay, who is my ideal customer profile? What are the challenges and pain that they go through? What are the questions that they are top of mind? What are they feeling? What are the roadblocks that they face? And then creating content as a solution around it. Because people don't trust you just because you put content. They trust you because you put content that is relevant, that solves their problem, that is useful and easily digestible. Yep, definitely put the customer first as with, as with anything. And I wanted to, before we head into our next corner, just take the time to also get your thoughts overall in terms of the general industry and tech company building in today's market. How would you say your experience in SaaS has shaped the way you view what it takes to really build like a sustainable company? This might sound cliche, but the nature of SaaS is that it relies on recurring revenue. So this means mm -hmm. customer success is absolutely super, super important. So I think that growing up and having my formative years and still being in this industry has really made me learn how to put my customers at the center of everything that I do and always think long-term, right? So what does it mean to think long-term? It starts from the sales process whereby if you feel that this customer is not a good fit for your solution, don't sign them on because eventually they will churn and that's not a good use of the company resources and also not good for the reputation, right? And also the customer experience. And secondly, to really focus and take care of things like the onboarding experience, the support experience, because only when customers are successful and they see the value, the first time to value, then they would renew with us and continue to purchase from the SaaS company. So that's one. Other than customer success, I've also learned the importance of keeping the revenue engine both powerful and efficient. So revenue engines means everything from marketing to the leads to Closing these leads and then ensuring that they are successful and renewing with us this entire revenue journey. How do you keep this journey like very efficient and prevent leaks and gaps in the GTM? Because any kind of leak can actually really impact the customer acquisition costs that the organization has and also impact the customer's experience and, rep and the reputation of your company as a result of that. The third thing I've learned that is really important to make sure that the problems you solve are really aligned to C-suite priorities because what I've seen across various SaaS companies is that as long as you are solving a big problem and you are feeling a very important challenge that customer has, that also translates to a larger deal size for the organization. Whereas if you're just solving like a tiny problem or maybe if you are just a nice to have, then that is when customers may not be willing to spend with you because every spend that they make with your software is a recurring annual one. Three great points on what founders can learn from how to build SaaS companies. I wanted to now go into our corner minute masterclass and ask you if, if you were to give a masterclass on a specific topic with regards to company building to class, you know, entrepreneurs or fellow operators like yourself, like what topic would you focus on and what would be the key takeaway you would want your class to have on that topic? 
again, if I have to do like a masterclass, I'll really focus on a topic that I'm very familiar with, which is go to market for software as a service companies. And specifically in Southeast Asia, because that's an area where I have experience in. So maybe perhaps some of the key points that I'll be focusing around this would be hiring, right? Because I think a lot of sales companies struggle with hiring and ensuring that their sales reps are successful. So things like how do you identify a good candidate, right? And then how do you set them up for success? That would be a very important point where I would, which is, which would, could ensure that a company brings in significant revenue. So some of the mistakes that people make around hiring and setting up for success is that first they might hire people who do not have that relevant experience. Like they might be coming from a background like maybe partnerships or renewals or, but that doesn't mean that these individuals have, will be able to execute the, a, a good sales process, right? And on top of that, sometimes companies may want to hire people with big tech experience because they think the logo looks good. Oh, X Microsoft, X IBM, X HP. But it doesn't mean that someone who has that kind of technology experience will be very good in running fast and scaling up a sales company also. Yeah, so that's the key topics that I might cover. <laughs> Yeah, I find it really interesting that you wanted to focus really on people with respect to GDM. And yeah, I think there's a lot definitely to dive into there. Moving on to our final corner for this call is a rapid fire round. So it should be, you've covered a lot of serious topics. <laughs> and now I think some fun questions to, to take on for the road. So yeah, just some short and sweet answers will do. First is what digital technology or innovation excites you the most today? I would think that health tech is an interesting area that I've started to pay more mm. attention to lately. Because the, we are all going to live longer than our parents and our children are going to live longer than our generation as well. So the whole idea is really how do we extend our health span to ensure that we maximize the years that we are alive and don't spend the last few, the last decade or the last few years not being able to walk and really making, make the most out of our life. So an area of health tech is really exciting. Everything on longevity and aging yeah, yes. should, should be pretty interesting in the future. Looking back now, what is a skill? It could be a soft skill or hard skill that you believe you should have learned back in your time as a student? Yeah. Wow, there are so many answers. There's so many things that I want to say, right? Because I feel that in university, there's a lot of focus on theory, on knowledge, but not so much on the softer aspects. So maybe two skills that I hope that could be imparted to the younger generation and I wish I learned earlier as well. The first one would be on personal finance which is improving your, mm. the way you manage money, to not be shy or about talking about money because that's a very important topic that affects our lives in a very realistic way. And the second one would actually be on managing upwards because a lot of us, we don't actually know how to do that. And if I learned that earlier, I think I would have progressed much more significantly in my career. Yeah, managing upwards. Yeah, I don't think we've gotten that answer before. It's uh, yeah, really important. What's your favorite go-to destination in Southeast Asia? I guess apart from Singapore, since you're <laughs> in Singapore. Or what trip are you most looking forward to taking in the region? There's quite a few destinations that I like. But I think that I'm going to be so basic and answer that it's Bali. <laughs> and why I love Bali? Let me, let me add that to the counter, to the Bali counter from our guests. I think we've had like... <laughs> so many Bali answers. You know, Bali is Yeah, mountain. yeah, yeah, no, but... Culture. Facts are facts. Are facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, but there's one place I really look forward to visiting too, and that's Angkor Wat. Mm, Angkor Wat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I ho hope you get to visit there soon. Yeah, we we've had 
Angkor Wat answer in a previous episode, and they had a lot of great stuff to say about it. What's your favorite activity to de-stress? Swimming or diving. Mm. Because when I'm in water, I don't think about anything else except the water. So it's really great for like mindfulness. Interesting. Nice, it's also nice. very efficient exercise because it works all muscles and it's great for stamina. Mm. And, yeah. Yeah. So anybody out there who's looking for a useful exercise, there you have it. Anything that you've read or taken up recently that you'd like to recommend to our listeners? Specific to this topic of business and all, I think that one of the books that I read that really stood out to me is called Ampeda. And Ampeda is written by Frank Snoopman, who is the CEO of Snowflake. And I thought that it was such a great book. Amp it up. All right. Yeah. So definitely you guys can check it out in the transcript. A link to that should be there. And on that note, I want to thank Geraldine for coming on the show, coming on a call with us to share her experience at IVA and also a lot of great learnings on SaaS and what it takes to build in, in that industry and really, and also do some content creation as well. I think there, there was a lot of great sharing in that regard as well. So yeah, thanks again for coming on the show, Geraldine. Thank you, Paolo, for having me. Yes, and for those who are interested in getting into Insignia Ventures Academy, whether you want to be an investor or maybe if you're like Geraldine who just wants to get that perspective and really incorporate it into their career, our, our future cohort, Cohort 6, is open for applications. You should be able to find a link in the podcast description to check that out as well. And see you guys in the next call. Bye-bye.